0: my friends what lays before you is the myriad knowledge of an unfathomable
1: universe join our intrepid remembrances as they explore the heresy as history from deep within the farthest reaches of the great library of tiska we are the heresy grad school so said the war master in his wisdom
0: go forth my sons and illuminate them do it
1: yeah right so uh jason is your cat out of your bits box yet
2: um <laughs> well he's quieted down at least No. Oh, good in.
0: sleeping in the big bits box
2: that's gotta get pokey right
0: i don't know it's a weird man they like that. times
1: sh- <sighs> all right well everybody uh welcome to another episode of the heresy grad school we're uh, kind of just finishing up our coverage on the Thousand Suns, or, or pre, pre-Heresy, pre pre-Prospero Thousand Suns, and just kind of, we're taking it easy this episode. I think uh, Jason described it best as this is kind of like your post-exam episode, or your your post-thesis presentation episode. We're just exactly. hanging out and
2: chatting a little bit. Like when your professor says, hey, I know we got that one weird, you know, class scheduled after the exam. Show up and you'll get five extra credit points.
1: And we'll watch like Forrest Gump or something like that.
2: Yeah, that's what this episode is.
0: Awesome. Oh, and by the
2: way, speaking of grad school
1: stuff, um, this is a little pat on the back for me, but I just got accepted into my, uh, my grad degree program with uh, information systems. So, boom, real-world connotations with grad school. There you go.
0: You're all official now.
1: Yeah, right?
2: All three of us are official. (laughs) So I
1: think, uh, Dave, you want to cover uh, one of these uh, exemplary battles in uh, Book 7, right?
0: Yeah, definitely, because I think, um, you know, Jason and I and Pat, you two, we all sort of did the deep dive into the lore on what information was out there for the thousand suns before their unification with magnus or, or reunification with Magnus? and and it i it's funny because i don't know pat if you said this but somebody said was like and then there was magnus right so there's just not a lot of um of lore out there at least that we could find so I am going to read uh, one of the exemplary battles from Book 7. It's on page 156. It's one of the ones that I didn't get to uh, in our last three episodes, and I thought it would be a fitting way to sort of end the uh, little series tonight. And, uh, and then so we'll uh, we can talk about it afterward. All right, so this is the Acerodyne Defiance on page 156 in Book 7, Inferno. This was one of the 15th Legion's first engagements after its foundation. Aseradine was the dominant enclave on the human colonized world of Castus, which lay close to the soul system. The world had surrendered and submitted to compliance after only a cursory engagement with the forces of the Great Crusade, and had swiftly been turned into a temporary staging node from which the Great Crusade forces launched deeper into the unknown. Castus was a world of feudal warriors who fought with weapons passed down to them out of the darkness of the Age of Strife. Divided into a hundred enclaves, each led by a warrior chieftain, they existed in a state of constant, low-grade conflict. Proud and direct, many of them were immediately gathered into the various arms of the great crusade fleets and sent to conquer other planets in the name of the master of mankind. A blood price for each warrior was paid by the Imperium to their families in an echo of the mercenary traditions that existed on Castus long before their sons and daughters went to fight wars for the new Emperor. For a brief time, all seemed well. Forces flowed through Castus and scattered to the stars, the warriors of the hundred enclaves gathering in their Archeo armor to make a blood contract in the Imperium before boarding the landing ships which dotted Castus. Not all on Castus submitted to the yoke of their new masters willingly, however. To some, the old traditions of blood service and honor had been subverted, and they saw the Imperium, which they were now part of, as little more than a parasite draining them of strength. Chief amongst these dissenters was Acilia Geeter, chieftain of the Ceridine enclave. A year after the compliance of Castus, Geter renounced her oath to the emperor, calling on those born of Castus to do the same. The heads of a hundred iterators, officials, and garrisoned troops were taken to the mark the beginning of her war. Sorry, were taken to mark the beginning of her war. The rebellion spread across Castus with the speed of a fire across plains of dry ga- grass. While many of Castus' warriors had been drawn off to fight in the Great Crusade, many remained and they were formidable. Their strongholds were constructed of plasma tempered metal, their armor could turn all but the most potent weapons, and while the Age of Strife had taken much, it had left them with the mysteries of power, field generators, plasma channeling, and much more besides. Caught off guard, the Imperium's presence on Castus took heavy casualties in the first night of the uprising. Seeing her bloody work, more enclaves rose to Getter's call, and for a short time it seemed that Castus would fall. But the Imperium could not allow such a vital world to be lost, and could not let such defiance stand. The 15th Expeditionary Fleet bound for Castus was retasked to put the rebellion down and restore the rule of peace. Chief amongst this force's troops were the 1st Brigade of the 2nd Regiment of the 15th Legion. Planned and coordinated by the 15th, the Imperium's rebuke to the rebels was swift and devastating. The full Expeditionary Fleet's forces dropped onto the surface of Castus within the space of 10 minutes. Orbitable bombardment lit the sky with a torrent of flame and actinic light as drop pods and gunships fell through the columns of macro shells and turbolaser torrents. All struck the strongholds of those who had first risen in rebellion and reduced them to burned ruins and their garrisons to heaps of corpse act. Such an action, while spectacular, was not remarkable amongst the legions Astartes and would not be a matter of note if it was not the context for what was to follow. The Asaridine Enclave did not fall in the first assault. It seems likely that Ghidor had prepared for her rebellion and the certain punitive action that would be taken against her. By reinforcing both her stronghold's walls and augmenting its defenses with power shield generators and slaved gun turrets, fifty legionnaires of the 15th Legion and a thousand human troops of the Imperial Army Auxiliary had descended on the Enclave, but had failed to breach its defenses. In the face of such resistance many others would have withdrawn or called in a sudden surge of reinforcements to break them the 15th did neither of these across castus the spread out forces of the 15th began to alter their battle tactics in places some simply crushed the enemy facing them to withdraw to their gunships in others they stayed their hand and began to offer terms to rebel leaders at the price of immediate and unquestioning service Forces began to move, peeling away from engagements at the precise moment when victory was assured but not yet taken, leaving the exact strength of force required to press their victory home. Over the course of hours, the Imperium's forces began to circle the Aseridine enclave. Messages began to reach Gator and the other enclaves falling or surrendering. Calls from her former allies reached her, pleading with her to surrender. Doubt started to murmur between some of her entourage. Then the bombardment began to fall from the sky. It caged the enclave's defenses, lashing it with a fury that blinded all who looked at it directly. Then, as swiftly as it had begun, it ended. And at that exact moment, the first assault hit the outer walls. Gator responded, rushing troops from where they had sheltered. The attack vanished, and another began at the same instant, then another. The shields began to fail, and then as one, the Imperium's forces withdrew, the hammer of orbitable fire descended on the enclave and broke it open. The gunships of the 15th flew into the breach so close to the last blast of the bombardment that it is said it seemed as if they were one. Gator died by her own hand before she could be taken, but the rest of her bloodline were sent to the death mines of Chthonia. And that's it.
1: Well, damn. Yeah, have I? Did
0: I read that before?
1: No, you, you did read the leveling of uh, 72-9 though. Okay, I, I believe. Yeah.
0: Cool, but I didn't read the and Defiance. No. Okay, good. Fuck, man. I, the whole time I was reading that, I was like, this. <laughs>
1: so I gotta be, dude. We go through these books so often, like not not on the cast per se, but just like you know, we've got we have our lore stuff spread out all over our offices, our work areas, just reading, you know. And we talk
0: about stuff before the cast, yeah. You know?
1: This is true. Um, yeah the The Mechanicum part of my brain saw like the archaeotech and and like the mysteries of plasma field generators and plasma channeling, and I was like, "Huh, I wonder if they ever talk about like the Mechanicum wanting those STCs." But I guess in this case, you know, this is the only time it's mentioned. But
0: what, just, what was really interesting to me about this is um, it doesn't give the date of the compliance doesn't give the compliance a date. Mm-hmm. but it does say that it was uh, one of the first human colonized worlds which lay outside and close to the soul system. So I went out and tried to find Castus and of course, uh, couldn't find anything, um, you know, like Castus outside of the soul system. A little bit like what, what we were talking about with the Warp Witches of, of Gathora, right? Right. It's just this really juicy piece of lore. Um, the, one of the first engagements that the 15th Legion has outside of the Soul System. I mean, this is really early on, right? Um, and so, uh, it just wanted there to be more. And it was, uh, it was, it was awesome. But, uh, but, yeah,, well, there you go,
1: listeners. This may be your your post exam episode, but you still got homework.
0: <laughs> Find us
1: the castus system, and we're talking about the It's page one fifty six in uh book seven, and you know, just go take a look.
0: How badass is that last line too, right so so, gettier this this warrior chieftain, right, from the right. The sort of the the Age of Strife. You know, she's got this archaeotech. She doesn't really know how it works, but she kind of, she knows how to use it. So she resists, and then the Thousand sons just fucking crush her, right? And crush all of the, sort of the warrior chieftains, the, um, what do they call them? The... uh,
1: The enclaves?
0: Yeah, the Hundred Enclaves, right? Right. Well, they're either
1: crushed or they have to swear fealty you know they
0: right but check this out the rest of her bloodline were sent to the death mines of Cathonia so that's that's the the punishment right is not just that um they weren't they weren't they weren't executed they were sent to the death mines of Cathonia and i feel like this is very much like the emperor's hand at work here right this mm-hmm. is early compliance tactics this is this is I'm not going to simply, um, you know, do ex- direct punitive uh, uh, extermination, right? I'm going to take your bloodline specifically and send them to um, like a basically a death camp. Just it's pretty fucking horrific when you think about it. But uh, but yeah, this this was the early days of the Great Crusade, guys.
2: Well, that kind of echoes something the emperor used to do pretty often, doesn't it?
0: Like during the Unification Wars, Jason.
2: It, um, you remember the very beginning of Master of Mankind? Yes. How he basically, uh, gosh, he has uh, Valdor wipe out this woman's like entire little empire, and the only person left out of that entire line was her infant son. Who he then abducts.
0: Which was that was raw, right? Yeah. And that was for the crime of draining the the last ocean.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and he totally wipes out her bloodline. Yeah, you're absolutely right, man. It's very kind of like it's very primitive in the sense that it seems like in all of the Warhammer forty thousand fiction, and I'm including the heresy in this, right? So sort of this world, this world is very much a dynastic, clannish, tribal bloodline. Like, it, it, it matters where you're from. And, it, and there's so much that that draws on that, you know? And um, oh, it's really cool. And it's sort of creepy at the same
1: time. I mean, <laughs> if you look at the heresy, like, both the traitors and the loyalists didn't trust their the Terran um, legionnaires they had in their, their legion.
2: That's a great like, point. Yeah. It depends on the legion, though.
1: Well, true, but the majority of them, you know, didn't, because for some reason the Terran ones in Loyalist legions felt closer to Horus because, well, they were ne- never accepted in their their legion. And for some reason the Terran uh, legionnaires in the uh, Horus side, or Paratic side, depending on how you see it, um, were more loyal to the to uh the emperor because they were originally from terra you know
2: but uh then you've got legions like the night lords where the terran marines and a lot of the nostraman marines got along famously
1: well well fine just just poke a hole in my bubble why don't you jason <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go uh, to be fair
2: the night lords were pretty weird I,
1: yeah that they, they are pretty weird don't no, no offense to night lord players but y'all got a I mean, no, legion
2: a little offense. I mean uh, to be fair, uh, we're all Thousand Suns players and Sevatar did call Araman and I quote an arrogant Terran shithead. So there's that.
1: I mean Yeah. I can see that.
0: Speaking of Araman, right, so this this whole like um I guess we've been doing this for almost a month now, right? At least yeah. three episodes. This might be our fourth.
1: No, this is our fifth episode, by the is way. Is this our fifth? Okay. So yep. we're <laughs>
0: Closing, closing a, a chapter on on the Thousand Suns, but we will be back, right? But so, so I've been in this weird dimension of Thousand Suns, right? So, I've been reading the Solar War. I've been listening to Talons of Horus, which is Aaron Dembski Bowden's sort of introduction to the black legion but it's bizarrely focused on a thousand suns character um named kion and you know i won't spoil it because it's an amazing novel that everybody should read and i've been doing this right so it's this weird like thousand suns like confluence right so it's all about the thousand suns because in the solar war which I also won't spoil, because I know a lot of people haven't had a chance of, to dig into that yet.
1: Just graze over the top.
0: But but I will graze over the top and say that the Thousand Suns are back. And they play a huge... Um, John French really does them credit in the Solar War. Um, so, so you get to see them again in the heresy, really for the first time since Prospero burned, right? So they sort of just disappeared... You Know they went on the crazy acid trip through the warp, uh, to find sort of the fragments of Magnus. That's Graham McNeil's, um, you know, the Crimson King, right? Onwards, but but really, a- as a legion and you know, as as a the the first time you really see them back in the you know, the Imperium, uh, is the solar, and so. It's been really cool. It's been really cool to see that and then the towns of Horus and then reading the Thousand Suns. I get lost sometimes. It's weird.
1: Yeah, you're kind of in like the three different stages of <laughs> of Thousand Suns. You're, you're dealing with the pre-Prospero, which is what we've been covering, and then you've got the Heresy, which is, you know, Solar War, and then you've got your, um, you know, the 40K, which is post-scouring into Legion Wars, you know?
0: Yeah, and I know know Jason's sort of right there with me. I I mean, you've read Talons of Horus, right, Jason?
2: Oh, of course. It's my favorite 40K novel.
0: Would you agree with me in that I think really more than any other Legion, the Thousand Suns really, I think they they have the constant thread that sort of links them throughout right like they they're they do not go through any kind of massive transformation as far as i know
1: i mean there's the armon bullshit but yeah
0: oh yeah i mean well so a physical transformation that's true but yeah but
2: they do kind of retain the same themes throughout i'll give you that um that's actually kind of a good point uh once you're done with talons of horus you should immediately start in on black legion uh the sequel novel Because um, I know they teased it a whole lot about because everybody knew it was the book where Abaddon comes through on the first Black Crusade and kills Sigismund. And you hear that and you think, well, I know at least I did. And a lot of my, you know, a lot of folks I talked to did. You think like, how could that be anything other than a fight where Abaddon just kills Sigismund and, you know,
0: that's it but 300 pages of Abaddon killing Sigismund. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean I'd, I'd I'd listen to that book. Yeah. It's about 40 pages, I think. Like the entire assault on Sigismund's flagship and but if people were so irritated, especially, you know, Loyalist players, because it's like, oh, it's going to be just this big Abaddon fan fiction. They're going to try and make him seem cool, even though he failed at Black Crusading 13 times, and huh, huh, doesn't have any arms, fail-badon. But um it's like, it's so much more than that. And what's impressive is how it definitely... It's like Kion is moving through some of the most major points in the history of, I mean, it's the first time actual Chaos Marines step forth from the Eye of Terror back into the Imperium. And for them, it's been decades, a couple hundred years since the Heresy, but it's been 10,000 years on the outside of the Eye. And it's like a staggering difference from what they're used to and it's just as weird for them coming out of the eye as it is for the Imperial Fists or the Black Templars now to see like what's been you know, what Chaos Marines are after what's to them ten thousand years. It's like the heresy is essentially like a thousand years old at this point.
0: Yeah, I think it's I think it's telling that you know, Aaron Dembski-Bowden chose Kion to essentially be the narrator for the, the story of the Black Legion, right? So how you tell the story of the Black Legion, you've got to tell it through somebody's eyes. You can't obviously tell it through a mortal's eyes. No mortal would be able to sort of, you know, be credible. But you, you know, so he chose Kion and then you know, he's a Thousand Suns sorcerer of enormous power, maybe only second to Armon, we don't really know, but he certainly sounds like it. Um,
2: well, um, he was the man that brought Magnus to his knees.
0: Right, you know? And so, like, that's just so cool. Like, it's, just, like, it's chilling, right? Mm-hmm. But he retains this sense of humanity. And I think that's the most imp- that's the most telling thing about the Thousand Suns, is they're the legion that, for all their faults... For all their hubris, maybe, I think they're the least, in terms, at least in my mind, they're the least guilty, right? You know, and, and sort of, like, you look at the word bearers and, like, these guys, they just sort of went all in, right? They're, like, balls deep. They're, like, sons hey, the of else
1: did nothing wrong. I don't know what you're
2: talking about. <laughs> yeah. Both yeah. feet first.
0: <laughs> you know? And, I mean, like, just the third legion, total debauchery. And it's just, you look at some of these other legions, and you're like, yeah, they... Yeah. There was a point at which they, they could have chosen, right? The, the massacre at Istavan. But the Thousand Sons never got that chance. They never had the moment of the massacre at Istavan where sort of the ones that were going to be divided were divided, and the other ones were... I, sort, yeah. I
1: mean, the rout came to town is essentially what happened. Yeah. Well, yeah. see,
2: here's the thing. Their hand was forced. No. Because any loyalist trying to rationalize it is going to say that Nikea was like their philosophical Istvan, and they chose to ignore the Emperor's Edict and keep doing all their space nerd witchery.
0: Yeah, but they were doing it on Prospero, and they weren't hurting anybody, you know? They were just sort of, yeah. See, I think in the
2: opposite direction, I mean, we can all essentially agree that the Emperor's Imperial truth was crap, But, yeah, that's pretty true. Nikea seems like, um, it seems like one of those old school spy movies where, you know, somebody gets too close to the truth and like a shadowy government agency has to shut them down or, you know, turn them in a different direction to get them off the trail. And that's what Nikea always seemed like to me was like, oh, Magnus is getting too close to that bullshit. Got to got to turn him around before he figures out some stuff I don't want him to.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a good point, Jason. And and it it also, when you when you listen to sort of the, the Council of Nikea and the way it's described, it's really like the emperor didn't have a choice, right? Like his hand was forced. He didn't want to sanction Magnus. He didn't want to sanction the Thousand Sons. He would have been much happier if they had just sort of, you know, remained sort of a clandestine, you know, force that was operating away from the other legions. But it's like... Yeah, when you know what, six of the fucking twenty or eighteen Primarchs kind of call you on the carpet, you know, and you've got Mortarian and and uh Dorn and and the others, you know, really railing against. And so you need those guys too, and you don't really want to explain the warp, you know, like this is the Emperor, right? I'm just trying to like you this out, and you don't really want to explain the warp. You're like, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, go get go get Magnus and bring him back. I'm going to have a talk to him. I'm going to talk to him. You know, I'm going to sit him down. I'm going to tell him some stuff. It's going to be okay. It's obviously not how play it played out. Uh, yeah. To
2: be fair, though, Dorn and Mortarian also turned out to be staggering hypocrites when it came to Mortarion ends up making packs with demons because he figures out, like, everybody else is doing it. I got to jump on that train, too after he specifically was one of the strongest voices against Magnus. Uh, Lehman Russ, of course, like, you know, oh, it's not warp magic, it's power from Fenris. Even, <laughs> I mean, you can imagine the hand motion I'm making when I say that. Look, they're but using runes! That has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> doesn't count! But no, then you've got Dorn, who is perhaps, like, the staunchest, like, he locks up every one of his librarians yeah. in... You know, like you know, Baby Jail. Fucking and Insanity. Doesn't... But the second he hits... Alright, have you read Chamber at the End of Memory yet? No. I want to right. read that. It's a phenomenal short story. It's in one of those um, Primark compilations. I'm not sure if it's Scions of the Emperor or Sons of the Emperor. One of the two. But okay. it's in there, and I'm not going to spoil it, but uh, Dorn finds a psychically charged... Uh, sort of chamber, like um, like a big arcane jail sort of thing, in the walls of Terra. And the first thing he does is, "Huh, this smells like psychic witchery." Grab me a librarian from Baby Jail and bring him here. So it's like, <laughs> it's such bullshit political grandstanding.
0: It is, it is. But you know, and and it's it's the tra- that's the tragedy of the heresy room, right? and so. When you listen to some of the black author, uh, black library authors sort of talk about this is it, it was this is the inevitable tragedy is is this had to play out. Um, and it's really funny that you mentioned the the Dorn locking up his librarians, literally locking them up for like, you know, decades, because um, I just got to that part in the which, which is very interesting because he's coming. You know, he's sort of coming to grips with his own um, really sort of literal interpretation of, of that edict and his puritanical nature, right, just very... Dorn is, um, It's you know, it's it would be interesting if we see Dorn, just because, like I've said this before about uh, about uh, Gilliman, right, like Gilliman in the 42nd millennia, right, in the Dark Imperium, is way more interesting than Gilliman, in the, right, just... Nuanced. He's got depth. It's like he's sort of been through. He has feeling
1: uh, and he understands the world, yeah. kind of thing. Like yeah, he's,
0: he's sort of he's sort of been through that. You know, sort he of. He was a freshman in
1: the heresy. He's now a <laughs> a graduate law professor, and you know, what have
2: you?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
2: Well, that is. Uh, I am kind of slowly slogging my way through Dark Imperium right now. But uh, that is a really, really good point they touch on, is Gilliman admits when he comes back, he's like, wow, uh, during the heresy and the scouring, uh, I almost started a second civil war with Dorne, and even though I got my way, this whole uh, this whole chapter deal was kind of a mistake. Like, yeah? my whole Legion organization structure was doing all right, but, like, this whole breakup in the chapters and, like, how I organized the Imperium, like, he essentially... Is thinking to himself like, "Wow, ten thousand years of stagnation and like ridiculous bureaucracy is kind of a byproduct of how I left things." But
1: so, like, it's kind of interesting that you mentioned that. And I know we're kind of going off on tangents with books, but
2: um, I mean, what what else are we so going to do on the? It, wrap this, up is, this is this is going yeah,
1: this is going to be a forty k spoiler. So close but, your ears or skip ahead an extra couple minutes if you haven't read the Beast Arise series. That includes you too but so in that series this is post scouring probably during the legion wars maybe but it's loyalist side so like none of the legion war shit is actually happening um but they go and find vulcan and they bring him back to terra because they need him to to help destroy this orc menace that is essentially threatening all of human existence um and he comes to Terra, and he's like, my god, what has happened to Terra? To like, what is this bureaucratic bullshit?
2: It's not great. Yeah, It's not no. a good look.
1: Um, and actually, I haven't read the one book that he, he shows up to Terra in uh, in a while, but if I remember correctly, he does blame Gilliman for this.
2: <laughs>
0: Nerd. Pat, is, is he the last loyalist Primarch before they all go dark?
1: you know i think so because um at the end of that series again spoilers skip ahead a couple minutes um at the end of that series he's he vanishes while fighting the uh the war the great war boss of uh the beast so to speak of yeah this giant orc army so
0: because they we go back
1: see. to olinor so fun fact um yeah, no, I there's so many little similarities and the thing is is we don't even know if the authors
2: realize it. Like it's just amazing. I like to think they do.
1: Yeah. But I mean I would you like were to noting think
2: they're way smarter than us.
1: But we had this conversation on Tuesday. You found uh a picture of pre heresy thousand sons armor,
2: right? Oh right. With the sarum pattern helmet. Yeah. Yeah, uh, fun fact. A thousand Suns apparently have access to the Forge World Well
0: so Tell Jason. Tell the listeners where you found it, so they don't freak out.
2: All right. So, uh, I can't remember what page it's on, but it's the old school Index of books published, you know, back circa I think two thousand one or so. So you've got a good fifteen years of separation between those and you know the first couple of black books. Uh, in the Thousand Suns article of Legionis Astartes, I think it's three, uh, they have a picture of, you know, a pre-Heresy Thousand Sun. You know, so he's got dark red and he's got white uh, trim on his shoulder guards. But what's interesting it is his helmet is almost an identical match for that uh, world leader from book one that has uh, all Mark II plate, except for his... Uh, sarum pattern helmet they're nigh on identical and it's kind of entertaining to see them like side by side and how similar they're so i know it's a design thing but i still think
1: um i pointed this out this is kind of more of a uh a funny point out but the uh red armor it's more of an o face and the white armor is more of a ah face considering they're world leaders you know just saying
0: yeah but they're 15
2: years apart
0: i mean we should definitely post post pictures of that, if we can, oh, yeah. yep. but, um, but yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think this is sort of indicative of, um, you know, the evolution of the story. And I think there's a certain amount of, I, I, I don't, I don't want to call it historical revisionism because I think that sort of has a negative connotation, but I think what oh, it yeah. is, is really, it's, it's going back in and sort of like adding detail to the story. Right. It's like it's it's blowing it out. It's it's saying, um, well, yeah, absolutely. There were different marks of armor. And I think that's where we get the the IKEA pattern armor, right, um, of the Thousand Sun. There's, obviously, there was an emphasis from Forge World uh, and the design team there to make the Thousand Suns very unique. And they have their own pattern of armor, the IKEA pattern of armor. Um, and I think maybe that's what comes, maybe that's where it comes from because, uh, I mean, Jason, that was 15 years ago in what it was an index of star days. Yes. Yeah. So like in a, in a white dwarf, I think it was the first time we saw the crimson thousand suns right. color scheme. Yeah. Cause
2: the index of star days were just compilations of the white dwarf articles on the actual space range.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If you guys can pick those up, they're definitely worth it. Um, they are yeah.
2: the best, and I am happy I did. Some.
0: Yeah, for sure. And just not having to have like you know 15 years of white dwarf. I mean, the, I mean, the white dwarfs are amazing, especially if you go back uh, 15 years ago. But uh, it's a lot of uh, a lot of paper to keep around. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I don't know, guys. What do you think? Are we? You want to talk a little bit about where we're going next, or...
1: Um. Yeah, let's go ahead and just, you know, talk about where we're headed to, and, you know, we obviously meant for this all to be, like, pre-Prospero Thousand Sons. We'll probably be back with, you know...
0: With Thousand Sons? With oh, Thousand we'll, Sons. Yeah, we'll just definitely plain be Thousand Sons. Oh, yeah, we'll definitely be back. Maybe not right away, but we'll definitely be back.
1: Um. But, yeah, so... Uh, no, where are we thinking about heading now guys
0: well so i i wanted to do a quick um look at the um navigators right so the That's nobilis right. uh nobilis navigate right so one of the um i mean there's are such a critical part of of really the imperium um from its very early onset uh the Great Crusade would not have been possible without them. Um, they're a fascinating part of the lore. They're a fascinating part of or the literature. And they don't get to the So the navigators um, are always sort of... They're there um, because they have to be. Because uh, you've got to navigate the warp. But I think recently um, they've been getting a lot more traction. You know, Pat, I think, I and and Jason, I think... Uh, you look at some of the the novels that have come out through the Horse Heresy, the Outcast Dead, um, and just really a lot of the novels now uh, give the navigators a lot more agency, right? There's this they this huge force sort of behind the scenes, right? Um, in a lot of a, a lot of the story that we love, and I, I want to take a look at that and see what that's all about.
1: Yeah, I mean, and. I got to be honest, like we were talking about this earlier and, you know, you don't see him on the table either. And I know we, we primarily focus on lore and, and the main cast kind of just goes over, you know, units and rules and what's new coming out and how to paint and that kind of stuff. But I feel like, you know, these guys deserve some table time. Um, and I potentially have a Navigator that might be coming with me to Nova, debating on throwing him in my ZM list just for some flair, see what happens, you know?
0: That's so cool, man. I think everybody who plays ZM, if you're doing a boarding action of any kind, you should have Navigator. Can you do that? Is that cool? Pat, is that even like, is that kosher? Can you do that?
1: I mean, I'm pretty sure you can add him to any unit. But you know what? We're going to save that. We're, we're okay. going we'll, we'll talk about that.
0: We'll come back next episode and let you know. Exactly. Because I know Forge World has a model and they have, I don't know if they're legit or experimental rules, but. Nope,
1: they're legit rules. Yeah. Oh,
0: fuck, are they
1: really? Yeah, dude. Dude, I need this. Go to, to, see... to ForgeRoll.com. Go to um, their downloads Expeditionary yeah. Navigator. Oh, that's so Boom. Boom. Um, and they count. As either an agent of the emperor or agent of the war master, so it worked.
0: So literally anybody who's playing ZM, mm-hmm. traitor or loyalist, can take a navigator. And if yeah, you 100% do that.
1: And you uh, take them as an HQ choice. So yeah, uh, but not a compulsory. So you know, for all you hopefuls out there, and we'll go over their stats and their lore, next episode. But you know, that's just a little feeler, a little taster for, for all you guys out there and gals. I think.
0: I think the other thing we wanted to kind of give you guys a heads up on, sort of like a read ahead, um, since we're talking about the Navis Nobilitate. Am I saying that right?
2: Navis Nobility,
0: or yeah, maybe
1: I don't know. The navigators.
0: The navigators. Navigator
2: That's how they say it in the black or the uh, black library books. Is Navis Nobility? Oh,
1: well, ah, there
0: we go. Okay, cool. Um, so. There's a lot of lore out there, but it's not actually in the what you would think of as the normal channels, right? So like the Black Library or the um, Forge World or the 40K. Are these and approved readings? They are, Pat, because they were written by um, Alan Bly, Andy Hoare, um, Andy Chambers. Um, so... What what we're alluding to, guys, is the, the the vast repository of lore that's out there through the, um, what Pat, the Dark Heresy, help me out here, man.
1: Are you talking about the flight, the fantasy flight RPG uh, era? Yeah, yeah, yeah exa- exactly. So Dark Heresy, um, Black Crusade, and uh, you know, Only War and Rogue Trader. That. Rogue Trader. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I know for, for a fact, uh, Road Trader, uh, Alan Bly had a hand in writing that. Uh, Andy Hoare had a hand in writing that. And so um, a lot of the, I think the source material we we will be referencing in um, the upcoming episode or episodes, depending on how far down the rabbit hole we go. Um, so we'll allude to that. And so if you guys can find it, it's, it's fascinating uh, source material. And it's in my mind, completely legitimate because of the folks that helped author it.
1: I mean, yeah. And yeah. I I think between Dave and I we've we've got almost all of the Rogue Traitor and, you know, the majority of Dark Heresy as well as uh I'm I'm currently trying to find all the different tomes for Black Crusade, but there's so much lore and just so much content in there just to read never mind you know playing the game but yeah
0: yeah but it's it's very cool and um looking forward to sort of talking about it and and sort of going a little bit off the reservation talking about navigators because i mean up until this point i think guys we've only talked about space marines and mortals so we're going to talk about something kind of in between now
1: yeah i think i think we need to take a break from leans and just uh just
2: spread out y'all's horizons, like that twelve episodes that we did on Mechanica.
1: You shut your whore mouth. <laughs> so I mean, good, but I so mean, good. maybe, maybe from here we'll we'll go into uh, the the psychic un- unknown. You know, Spoopy. very spooky. Uh, but one of the things I know I definitely want to talk about with this episode is Patreon, um, and I know. Everybody's seen that uh, our Patreon's up. Thank you all to all the people who uh, who are now patrons. So uh, there's some big things heresy grad school-wise that are actually going to be uh, coming down the pipe very soon, mind you. So uh, we're gonna open up once we have uh, 10 patrons at our top tier, which I think I think uh, Jesse actually renamed all of our tiers, but I think it's the Legion uh, Praetor tier. Uh, we're going to be opening up a new option with Heresy Grad School. So all uh, all patrons from the console level, which is Tier 2, to uh, the Praetor level, which is our top tier, are now going to have uh, the ability to to vote for monthly mini topics for the Heresy Grad School. So we'll provide you guys with maybe three options, maybe more, um, for you all to vote on. And whichever one you pick we'll do a mini soda of it and we'll post it up that month um but also with the top tiers once we hit that that uh those 10 10 top tiers we then put them all in a pool and you and someone from that pool will be chosen at random to either you guys can come and come and just chat with us during a normal episode or you you can come uh, work with us and we can flesh out a topic and we'll cover it with you. Uh, so those are kind of the cool things that are coming down the pipe. I know a couple of people have been asking me about, Hey, when are we going to get heresy grad school tiers? Well, bam, here's, here's what's going down. So yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to kind of like hang out with some folks, man. I know we've been talking about it and, um, It just it it took a while guys to roll it out and I I know it's um there's a lot of back end stuff we've gotta get right. So so thanks for your patience and we're certainly um looking forward to to communicating and and, uh you know, hanging out and getting some feedback.
1: Yeah. I mean and again, an an example of a mini sode is is kinda like we're talking about navigators. That could be a mini sode or um you want to talk specifically about phallax. you know that that's an option of a of a topic you want to go for instance, you know. Jason
0: would love that.
1: Jason would go nuts. I'm I'm pretty sure he has a quarter chub right now just thinking about it. I but,
2: mean, I already stated my argument <laughs> quite eloquently, I believe, last year at Nova.
0: That was an amazing like counter argument. So if you guys don't I do this is this is on. The Remembrancers Retreat, like, this is our backlog, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So so if you guys are listening right now and you're sort of new to to Remembrancers Retreat or Heresy Grad School, go back and find our NOVA 2018 episode. It is literally Jason and I taking counter um, arguments, like counter opposing positions on whether or not... The Mechanicum or the Legionis Astartes would have been better fits for conquering the galaxy, right? The Great Crusade. Am I am I saying that right, Jason? Yeah,
2: yeah, I think. Who
0: would it's, be better
1: at the compliance? Yeah, I think I think that's that's where it started. I tell you I tell you listeners, it was fantastic. We we're at the bar at uh at Nova. We we're in the Nova Foundation Lounge. If you go if you guys ever get to go to Nova, go hang out there. I know plenty of us will be there um but you know jason shows up in like this full suit ready to rumble (laughs) like
2: it's because i'd been at the cellar soiree that's true yeah also i'm a professional (laughs)
1: um but no it's a it's a pretty fantastic episode so if you guys have a chance just i know it's it's in our list of episodes so just just go for it yeah
2: I mean, I can argue how the emperor is a turd who did everything wrong all day. This is true.
0: But Jason's arguments in that episode are amazing because he literally goes down into like the physiology of a Thalax versus a Space Marine. And it's you should check it out. It's really good.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Dave.
0: Replacement value and genetic uh, enhancement, psycho indoctrination—like it's all there, guys. It's so good. Check it out.
2: Uh, Dave does a pretty good job, uh, actually, convincing me that maybe the Emperor isn't a complete doofus, just like a partial doofus. Oh,
0: man, I'll tell you what. Listening to this like um, Black Legion stuff that ADB is writing, I'm telling you, man, like starting to rethink the whole Emperor thing. Like he may not be like on par with, with whatever is in the immaterium. It's very interesting, right? It's very interesting. It's like ADB and Dan Abnett. Like Dan Abnett's been my go-to, right? He's the architect. I've been. It's really, really sort of like that's like my he's my he's my cornerstone, sort of to try to understand this whole thing. But like, but man, does fucking Aaron dembski Baden makes a very compelling argument for the chaos gods to be something much, I think, much different than what I thought of. Mm. So, um,
2: man knows what he's doing. Oh, yeah. So
0: he's deep in the warp, dude. I hope we I hope we get to read more from him. We can
1: only hope, you know.
0: <sighs> but
1: I think uh, I think that wraps it up for us. Um, plugs, Dave? You got anything?
0: No. Thanks, guys, for listening. That's all I've got.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, Jason. Um, still not sponsored by Coca-Cola. But... <laughs> hey.
1: Hopefully, a Coca-Cola
2: exec is really into.
1: The heresy and stumbles across our podcast and says hey we can probably float these guys a couple thousand dollars and and they'll just promote us and everything you know
2: right i mean i would (laughs) i drink so much coke now for free like (laughs) i'd definitely do it for a sponsorship
1: you know i'll I'll paint a unit of marines as coca-cola marines oh
2: god
0: please please don't
2: i'm that just makes me think of that one monster energy night it's like doing a crazy like gundam backflip with lasers hey that
1: that, uh that monster energy night won uh capital Palette last year
2: i bet it did yeah but it was
1: all of that osl oh my god but but that's another story um yeah so uh Thank you all so much for uh, listening. Again, you know, uh, think about being a patron. But uh, otherwise, thank you again for listening. And uh, as we say at the end of every episode, fuck off, Craig.
2: Fuck right off, Craig.
1: Good night.